Take it away. All right, guys. Welcome back to the fitness and philosophy. Fitness and philosophy. In. Welcome back to the fitness in philosophy, in philosophy podcast. podcast. My name is Robbie Gustin, and I'm joined as always by James Fitzgerald. FIPP. I always fitness in philosophy podcast. Yeah. Where we tell no fibs. We tell no fibs. Yep. And uh, we, we kind of lucked out on having that I be an I and not an A. So yeah. In terms yeah. of shortening things up. So. Yep. Yeah. yeah. We get in a lot of, a lot of trouble. Yep. How are you or doing? We get a lot of attention. Or get a lot of attention. You never know. Leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> so my, uh, my question for you today, uh, did you uh, grow up with, go to school with um, anyone who is currently famous or, you know, fa- fairly well known, not like a A-list celebrity, but did you know anyone from growing up who's? No, the, uh, the closest, well, I guess it's the definition of famous, you know, um, I'm sure. I'm sure it's possible that some people would say that to me. They're they're like, oh, I grew up with uh, James Fitzgerald, and uh, I think he won that CrossFit thing. Um, so, my famous? No, I don't know. So it'd probably be the same you way. Are that that I, What's that? You are that guy. Me? Like, yeah, <laughs> or that person? You know that guy. I, I am that guy. Um, yeah, uh, uh, Sean Doyle, um, who was a couple of years older than me. Um, was successful in acting. He, had, he was a number of a uh, number of uh, acting roles. We'd uh, I'd have to pull out the, the inventory of them, but uh, yeah, he was I guess you know somewhat famous. Um, one of the I think it was uh, Michael Crummy. That's his name, last name Crummy. Um, uh, he was a author. He won a he won uh, a couple of awards in Canada for some particular uh, books that he wrote. Um, yeah, that's about it. Um, there's, there's probably a couple of others. Like we had the odd uh, athlete move on and do some things in some different sports that are on a higher level, but uh, not too much. How about yourself? Someone nearby? Um, so I guess two people who went to my high school or way before me would be, so Zach De La Rocha, the lead singer of Rage Against the Machine. He went to uni high school, which is cool. And then uh, Will, Will Ferrell as well. But oh, the, wow. person, the person who I actually knew and actually had like classes with and did um, wrestling with for a couple of years. Hi, Ezra, if you're listening. Um, Ezra Klein. Oh, Wow. There's actually like I have a I have a uni like junior year mm. wrestling picture where like his hair is dyed blonde, uh, like he had it dyed blonde for a while, and um, yeah, we both wrestled at the same weight class, and um, yeah, I mean in in our, you know most people I'd say most people aren't maybe now more people are aware of who he is, but I think people who listen to podcasts and yeah yeah he's with uh, he's with New York Times now right went from box to New York Times yeah. Yeah, that was like a long time dream of his to be an op-ed columnist for them. So yeah. That's oh, good for him. Yeah, no, I've I've listened to I've, I've listened to him a couple of different podcasts speak about uh, political ideology um, and identity politics. He's got a he's got a you know some interesting 
there's things things to share on that my foray my initial foray unfortunately into Ezra Klein was um, some of the heat that he gave Sam Harris for the conversations they had with Charles Murray who wrote the book uh, um, on uh, just human diversity the diversity of races and diversity of class diversity of gender and etc and uh, anyways he just gave him a little bit of heat for uh, for giving Charles a platform to have these discussions, assuming that it was, it was done to like uh, preemptively get into a particular uh, belief. Anyways. Um, yeah. And then I, I got from that though, I got on to uh, listening to, I think he did lead one of the Vox podcasts that I did listen to for a period of time. Um, yeah. So anyways, that's pretty cool. Robbie. Yeah. Connection there. Small little teeny connection. Yeah, yeah. I, I have no idea whether if he saw me on the street. We we haven't seen each other since high school. If he would even remember, <laughs> you just start wrestling <laughs> for no I reason. Who I am? Yeah, get into a wrestling stance and yeah, immediately bring you back to that period of time. You know, yeah. Exactly. Hit the music. What year was that? Uh, that Years. would have been two thousand two thousand one, somewhere in that vicinity. I was just trying to think of what what music would be playing in the background. Um, some Lincoln Park. <laughs> some Lincoln Park. <laughs> some some limp limp biscuit. Uh, <laughs> I did it all for the nookie. Oh my corn. god! You know that that new metal, new metal. Yeah. Corn is uh that bass and oh. corn is savage. None of that's none of that bass is around anymore in some. Uh, well, maybe I'm not listening to it, but man, some of that corn bass is just ridiculous. It was amazing. I mean, it's still like on my, you know, my occasional workout playlist. Uh, like, yeah, the corn is definitely up there. Gosh. So. Yeah. That'll get things moving. Yep. You know? Yeah, we should have, um, we should have, I should have this on like ready to rock and roll as we do these things so we could like, refer to uh what we're discussing um and i'll try to do a better job of it in the future but <laughs> you mean me just playing freak on a leash on spotify right now and just <laughs> hey <laughs> let's uh let's see like how does that not bring you back to a specific period of time where you just want to you know wrestle or or do some things aggressively. Pretty much, yeah. Like if I'm, <laughs> if I'm going for PR, that's what I'll that's what I'll be on in the background. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, I mean, again, maybe yeah, maybe like you, I'm I'm just not listening to stuff in that genre as much anymore. But yeah, I, I don't know of anything that really kind of has the baseline like that does. Yes. Yeah, uh, seeing where uh, we are there, just because I have it open, uh, I'm gonna give a shout out to a group that I banged into um, indirectly through my daughter, um, a group out of Michigan, uh, Greta Van Fleet. Um, and uh, they got a new album uh, called uh, The Battle at Garden's Gate. And uh, yeah, it's good stuff. I'll just give, give them a shout out and uh, listen, to, listen to that music. And um, yeah, let's see here. Yeah, I'll do it just for the 20 seconds or so. The intro to this is really cool. Ready? Yeah. Great. 
no good. What? Wait till you hear his voice. Listen to this. That's crazy, right? It's like a Zeppelin Rush, Janis Joplin, you know, kind of mixture of cool rock and roll there. But my daughter plays electric guitar and uh, we just always stay privy to these like little riffs she could kind of learn uh, for that, that kind of genre, 70s rock. And uh, yeah, we banged into that and she's like, dad, listen to this one. I was like, my gosh, that just brought me right back to being a young kid and listening to Zeppelin albums, you know. That's really cool. I, yeah, I like the build up to that, and then the voice. Yeah, yeah. I gotta yeah. I'll, I'll listen to that after this. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, I view I view what we just experienced as a win win situation. Either way, <laughs> either we fly enough underneath the radar that the rights holders don't contact us, or we've got or we've gotten sufficiently popular that you know what. I don't care if they contact yeah. us. That's yeah, cool. like, we've, got, we've gotten to that yeah. point. So. GVF is like, yeah, play that shit. Yeah, get a call totally. from the attorney. Although as I was listening to music, the Zoom uh, notification came up. Did it come up for you? It said set up professional audio in audio settings. When we're not even we're not even professional yet. What the hell? <laughs> There's I'm no sure way like we're some, getting any issues. <laughs> I'm sure that's like some rights holders thing or something like that. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, it looks like the Apple Music sign, actually. That's weird. Anyways. Huh. Yeah, man. Um, and you're good over there. You're uh, you're cold and you're uh, surrounded by snow, but things are good. Yeah. Overall, things are... You're not suffering too much. No. And I mean, maybe maybe like Wim, you know, Wim Hof, uh, the cold is brings suffering, which leads to joy. Hey, we'll uh, we'll touch on a little bit of that today for yeah. uh, some pain that could uh, bring some presence. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about pain and suffering and all things pain and fitness. Yeah, isn't that so enticing? Like we're you know, hey, don't you want to listen to some pain and some suffering? Yeah. Gosh, well, let me bring up a tune here. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, guys. So uh, our, our current couplet is pleasure and pain. So we discussed pleasure last time. We're discussing uh, pain today. Um, you know, I, I was sort of semi-jokingly saying people wouldn't actively seek out discussions on pain and suffering. But of course, one of the topics we'll be discussing today is the extent to which, especially in fitness, people purposely seek out pain and, and suffering as a means of some weird type of pleasure fetish. Yeah, <laughs> willfully. Willfully used to do it. This yeah. isn't this isn't hard enough. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like I'm I'm working out. Like how I'm do not... we get more. How do we get more of that? Yeah. So it 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 is a real thing. Mm -hmm. So let's start it? out at what's that? What is it? What is it? Oh yeah. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to talk about that too. That's where the philosophy comes in. So as always, let's just do a quick little definition piece. So. Pain can either be a noun or a verb. Um, the noun would be a localized or generalized unpleasant bodily sensation or complex of sensations that causes mild to severe physical discomfort and emotional distress. 
and typically results from body disorder, such as injury or disease. A number of things in there that we'll discuss. What's the connection between mental pain and physical pain? Um, does pain have a location in the body? Does it not? You know, conscious properties don't have a spatiotemporal location, but pain seems to be in spatiotemporal locations. Um, in terms of, um, you know, the fitness connection, you can have pain without injury and you can have injury without pain. So, so things like that. Um, and then the verb to make suffer or cause distress to, that will be, I suppose, particularly relevant for the, the fitness scenario. And of course, we're talking about the descriptive sense of fitness there, not the normative in the sense we're, we're talking about like what is currently practiced as fitness today, not necessarily uh, what, what should be, what should yes. be fitness. Yes. <clears throat> so in terms of philosophical considerations, um, you know, we always start off with the, what sort of thing is this thing? What sort of thing is impact? What sort of thing is autonomy? What sort of thing is virtue? So what sort of thing is pain? Well, very much like pleasure, it's not an object or a person. Uh, it's a feeling. It seems to be a biological entity as far as we know, dot, 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 you know, maybe in this century that changes. Mm -hmm. um, but machines are incapable in principle of having pain. Objects are also incapable of having pain. Um, pain requires consciousness for its existence. So it seems, uh, the apple on the table or, you know, the walls in your bedroom don't require your perception of them to exist. Now, of course, that's a famous debate in philosophy, whether that's true or not. And, you know, there's certain qualities of the walls, like the color and the, you know, the sound they make when you tap them, whether that requires consciousness or not, that's a different thing, but the actual physical object itself the atoms do not require your vision for and your exist your uh, consciousness for its existence, whereas pain or pleasure does. Um, and then there's nothing intrinsically painful about a severe burn, getting a piano dropped on top of you, or buckling under a heavy squat, except insofar as they give rise to certain chemicals in your brain. And we, we know this because there are people who are born uh, with issues sensing pain and that, you know, it's, it's dangerous, right? Uh, they can actually go through these activities that would normally cause severe pain and not feel any pain. So it's really the consciousness of those and the actual activation of those particular neurochemicals that in a conscious being that leads to pain. Pause there for a second. Any, any thoughts or comments, anything there? Yeah, no, I just thought of, uh, I don't know why I went there, but uh, went back to a stranger in a strange land and uh, you know an individual that comes from another planet that was raised there comes to earth and I just I don't know why I visualized this but it was, I guess it's like a Star Trek episode or something where they're just looking around you know and and someone <laughs> gives them a shock on their arm <laughs> and and we're all like waiting for the like here it is right isn't that painful right and they don't know how to deal with it based upon based upon perceptions or what that is or you know <laughs> anyways that's what i thought about um for it uh and uh it yeah that 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 certainly colors my my uh my version of pain perception um and i like the way you put it in how i see it which is a it's a tough thing to discuss and help people understand that there are there are levels of this 
perception that one has to have in order to understand what that entity of pain is, right? And, and possibly experience in it um, in order to realize, uh, you know, cause I wrote down the word sensitivity. There's a, you know, as sensitivity changes and the knowledge of a particular entity grows, then it's quite possible then perception is heightened of that particular entity, let's call it pain. And therefore it becomes something a whole lot more special and more real and like very well-defined. Um, but that, you know, therefore, if your perception is really low, right? Um, does that mean that you have a lowered amount of awareness or is the lowest perception really effective for you? Like, you know, in caveman times, you know, you had, you had a broken leg and you just kept on walking. You're like, I'm not sure what's going on down there. <laughs> but you look down, it's like, oh, I'm walking on my, <laughs> my uh, tibia, right? And it's like, oh, you know, and, uh, you know, I wonder if that all led to these, uh, these things that got us to the point of uh, um, stuff being harmful. Um, and I'm just babbling here based upon your pause. But I uh, also think about uh, the future of... Um, you, you said the dot, dot, dot biological entity. Um, I think that we're probably in this area of, uh, science and, and research now in, in two main areas, uh, genetics and neurocognitive function. Um, that's, that's really going to push the envelope in terms of perception and, you know, how people perceive pain differently based upon their, their polymorphism differences and, um, you know, so it's going to be a fascinating future. I, I like the way you said maybe in the next decade, I would agree with you. We're going to, we're going to, uh, be able to line individuals up and very loosely be able to say, listen, you're going to perceive this entity at this level, you know, based upon how we determine what their levels of perception and, and, um, how their nervous system works, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. And things like, you know, I mean, to get way out there that, you know, the singularity or could you upload one's consciousness to a computer, pleasure and pain are such huge features of our experience. And if that can only be experienced by a bi biological entity and not a, you know, computer or something like that, you know, to what extent can we be uploaded? And, you know, how, how intrinsic is the biology to our, our existence? Yeah. Yeah. And then on the other side, like Nick Bostrom discusses um, and Max Tegmark, uh, this conversation of um, ethics and uh, and um, you know uh, communication and reciprocity and and compassion that we can have to immaterial things that now have quote unquote have some form of consciousness and do they experience a concept of pain just because there's an understanding of it in the neural programming you know what I'm saying so information in processing output and just assume that humans and machines are alike in that endeavor. I like that conversation. That's a really cool one is what, what will they perceive as pain and how are they like, how are they formulating that? Is it as simple as like strategy and alpha go, or is it like much more complex in that? Now, and that raises a bunch of, I find interesting questions, right. To the, to the end point, like will robots be able to feel that? Um, feel pain, right? If we, if you and I can describe it very intricately and bring it down to like material pieces, you know, it's uh, that's probably the separator. I would assume something in there. 
Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, we've alluded to discussing this and probably it's an episode, you know, later down the line, but to what extent do different degrees of consciousness affect degrees of pain? So in the animal ethics discussion and nutrition and things like that, you know, does a bug feel pain the same way a scallop does the same way a fit does the same way, you know what I mean? Yeah. Growth and development too. Um, Right. So uh, scale our increase in consciousness as from a two-year-old to a 12-year-old, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and conditions social behavior of like, you fell down and your knee hit the ground, you know, and if the child has learned and like they look at mom and look at dad to say, well, how should I perceive this? Right. And, and dad goes, you know, and uh, mom goes, you know, <laughs> then, then now the child's like, oh, <laughs> knee hits ground this is how this is how i work in this situation um so yeah that it, the the uh, <laughs> i would say that area is a little a little more safe to tread on as opposed to the animal ethical animal ethics conversation but uh yeah i i, I like that yeah 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 i mean just just this interest i mean we we know that there is a connection between the biology of you know injury to tissue and, and different things like that, that leads to pain. But, but as you're saying, so much of it comes from, you know, the experience and the social, you know, uh, milieu that someone's in that teaches them about these responses to these things and how, how sensitive are they to it? Are they hypersensitive? Are they hyposensitive? Mm -hmm. Uh, All those different things. Yeah. 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 So much in there. So there are a number of unique aspects of pain that, also apply to pleasure, but I would say, especially in the philosophy literature, um, these have been famously discussed by philosophers like Wittgenstein and others. Um, th- this unique aspect of pain seems to be, the, when I say all these next characteristics, these are all things, it seems to be the case. And then we have to philosophically figure out like, what do we do with this? But mm. pain is private. You can never truly feel my pain. Um, and that's problematic for two reasons. One, like we just never have insight into what the other person is feeling truly. That's, that's one thing. And then there, there's this assumed, like we, we think what the other person is feeling is kind of like what we feel, but we don't have any idea that that's an inference. So uh, that's, that's one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems to be incorrigible, meaning you could never tell me what my pain level should or should not be. You can't be like, Oh, well, you should feel this amount of pain in relation to that. Um, it's, it's not something where, you know, someone looks at a duck and says, oh, that's a, you know, Corvette. It's like, no, that's a, that's a duck. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, pain is only you have access to that or so it seems. Yeah. Um, it seems to have a particular intensity and duration. So, you know, my knee hurt at a five out of 10 level for three weeks, let's say so, something like that. Um, now we, we try to give quantity to it practically when we go to a PT or something like that. But of course, that's, that's the best we can do but at the very least we know that there are levels of intensity whether we can actually quantify them or not um it seems to be located in a particular part of the body now we can talk about you know mental emotional pain versus physical pain but you know when we say we have a pain it's usually in the knee or the elbow or the head or the arm and philosophically there's this inherent tension between pain having a particular location in the body meaning there's a spatio-temporal location and, you know, pain is subjective feeling, 
consciousness where there's no spatial temporal qual you know uh, aspect to that conscious feeling there are spatio temporal properties to dopamine launching or serotonin in certain neurons that's true but the actual subjective experience itself there's no as far as we can tell there's no spatio temporal properties there so like what do we what do we do with that and then usually pain and injury are linked but not always someone can have um herniated disc and not feel any pain and someone can have no herniated disc and experience lots of low back pain so um yeah so just some interesting aspects of pain there yeah but i think that's going to lay the groundwork for a future discussion on you know making sense of why people choose to go after pain that we do have to take into consideration that not everyone experiences it the same way as how we're describing it right you know so i think there's and there's multiple levels of that you know inside the I would hope probably we stay as far as close as much as much as possible inside the physical domain for the conversation because I think it gets just gets uh yeah it just gets loopy and weird out there outside of that um, doesn't mean we don't want to touch it a little bit but uh, um, yeah that's what I think about it sets the groundwork for what's to come for people having a recognition that you know maybe they're not feeling what I'm feeling and I think that's the that's that's the that's the base support yeah that allows us to figure out exactly what's uh, positive for future exercise prescriptions that are <clears throat> whatever we're going to call it, you know, should we inject the word like a challenge um, and then pain assumes then there's some form of judgment on top of what that was. Um, yeah. So I think I'm looking forward to going there based upon good prescriptions. Yeah. And I think that's a very important point that, um, you know, doing some philosophical distinction between, you know, pain and a challenge and an obstacle and suffering and, you know, challenge and obstacle, at least the way we typically use the term, um, you know, can have negative connotations, but generally it's something to be overcome, something that leads to growth, things like that. Pain and suffering can, but start to really trend more towards the negative side. So just getting clear on like, what is it that people are pursuing in fitness? Um, you know, there's kind of the not so great side of pain where people are just pursuing suffering for the sake of suffering yeah. um, or, you know, pleasure satisfaction in kind of this weird roundabout way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, so yeah, just getting clear on what, what that, those, those distinctions, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll get into, well, we'll talk about, but you know, what's metabolic pain. Um, and I guess the mechanical pain, you know, I guess I got to, I got to create better language on that because it's all in that, physical area you know right. um, but there's a bit there's a bit of that's why i call i put pain in when i describe it i'll describe it in two areas pain's not only metabolic you know like hydrogen ion kind of conceptual pain or the burning lungs kind of pain it's also uh really challenging uh mentally to do it right that is painful it's uh, so there's a lot of anguish around doing it etc um, I'm not sure if this is the right spot though, too, but I wrote down that there's particular kinds of, uh, uh, martial arts through repetition that, uh, I, I, I'm going to hope I'm not using it incorrectly, but I think it was called Wing Chun where these numerous practitioners would practice this <clears throat> meditative state where people would hit them and they wouldn't feel a thing. Um, and so that's all, that's also something to kind of dig into to say, well, how is it possible that 
a million humans across the board actually take that physical contact and there's some perception, right? There's some perception of pain yet in that case, there's none, right? There's no, there's no actual perception of it, you know? So, and that, that links in what you mentioned of there could be physical injury, but it doesn't mean that there's a perception of pain for that physical injury. Um, you know, I just find that super interesting too, around how much control do we have over repetition and practice to, to dampen the effects of pain, you know, <laughs> on <clears throat> if it's necessary, you know? Yeah. And the whole concept of neuroplasticity, like to what, how, how plastic is our perception of pain and what voluntary or conscious control um, do we have over it through repetition? And I think, you know, the example you mentioned is a good one. Clearly there are some humans, whether it could be all humans through repetition or not is an interesting question, but clearly there are some humans that are able to cultivate this um, tolerance of pain that most mere mortals just don't inherently possess. Yeah. 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 And that's what I was mentioning earlier. I think that over time being able to look more intricately deeper down in these people and genetics and, uh, and neural studies, I think we'll, we'll get a little bit more. Yeah. I just don't think we have the tech to kind of look at that right now. No, definitely not. Yeah. So a couple other philosophical issues and then we'll talk about pain and fitness. So, um, motivation in, um, philosophy is a big question, like what motivates us to act? We talked about how pleasure is one of the main motivating forces um, in all of our action, but pain is as much, if not more, um, a motivator of action. People will, um, you know, do lots of things to avoid pain, right? And there, there are all these psychological studies about like, um, it's cool to gain a hundred bucks, but it's far more painful to lose a hundred. Do you know what I mean? That, that, that type of thing. Um, so just the psychology behind that. Uh, last time we talked about pain, suffering, and well, last time we talked about pleasure and its relation to happiness. And we mentioned that pretty much all wisdom, philosophy, religious traditions, everyone, a group them together tended to trend towards this idea that brute pleasure satisfaction does not equal happiness, true happiness, true satisfaction, true fulfillment. And then there's this deeper question with relation to pain, um, is pain or suffering necessary for the good life. You know, many of these same traditions speak of the truth and suffering. Um, and those who are enlightened, you know, having experienced or transcended the most suffering in their lives. Um, you know, to take modern day examples, uh, you know, we were, I think we were talking about Wim Hof before the call. Um, you know, for those who don't know the, uh, famous Danish, Swedish, Danish, oh, sure. Uh, but anyway, a uh, guy who subjects himself to super cold temperatures and, um, but, but the idea behind some of his method is that, you know, humans um, have a intrinsic need for certain types of challenges and whether you want to call that pain or suffering, I guess that, you know, that comes down to how we want to classify it, but it can lead to all sorts of things like mental clarity and calmness and, um, you know, eventual alleviation of suffering, even though initially, you know, running barefoot up a mountain, <laughs> you know, kind of sucks. Yeah. Um, but it eventually leads to, you know, some, some higher order type, type pleasure and alleviation of, of pain. And of course in Buddhism, you know, the recognition that suffering is, 
what exists and you know we want to try to um, do our best to um, come to grips with that so just an interesting question for the meaning of life how important is pain to us actually being happy and fulfilled yeah yeah man there's uh, so much in there but i'll just the way i the way i think about it is um is the you know it's yeah the word like pain and suffering ha- for each individual has to be discussed right like what does what does pain and suffering mean to you like how do you perceive pain and suffering um because some people could say that you know that <clears throat> what you and i would perceive is something that's not really a huge amount of pain or suffering is like their pathway to enlightenment, you know, (laughs) and to you, me and you, you're like, seriously, that's painful to you. But we have to respect the fact that they believe that that is that, you know, to to their their perception. So it's always very individualized in that. Um, I also, when I think about it as a, uh, um, as a Buddhist concept of it, that it's just present and we just got to figure out how to deal with it. I, I, that, that resonates more with me because it sits along the lines of my ideas on or my thoughts on living the most meaningful life through your ability to adjust. So, well, what does that mean? Well, you're adjusting and making constant adjustments to challenges, right? New challenges that are proposed in front of you, you know, uh, new relationships. Uh, getting a job, growing up, uh, developing friendships, et cetera. These are all challenges and how you face those challenges and how you deal with them, how do you adjust to them and the learning that's in that, to my point, that can be, that can be really hard, right? So this is where hard is like, well, how hard? <laughs> and is that, is that pain and suffering? It's a, it all depends, you know, how I'm perceiving that. So, and then, and then of course, what great makes it gray is there's a lot of people who, won't perceive any of that stuff as being really challenging. You know, it's like, you know, and they, ha- they have to go after like the, <laughs> the really high level things like jumping off buildings with little suits on with wings <laughs> in order to like really get to that point of like, now that was really a big challenge, right? A lot of mental anguish, pain inside of me trying to figure out how to survive. Um, and, and it's just, yeah, creates it. So, but I, I resonate with that for uh, changing the language there, Robbie, into, you know, what challenges are. And, uh, and if that is considered pain in some cases and suffering, yeah, so be it. Yeah. yeah and I, th- I think that, yeah, I mean, like we were saying before, that really is the deep question here is what, what sort of thing are we talking about as a challenge or obstacle, or is this, this deeper pain and suffering? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, in, in terms of that um, aspect of things, you know, every major tradition that tries to make any sense of the world has to try to come to the fact, has to try to come to grips or comes to some sort of explanation of, you know, where does suffering come from and why do we have to encounter it? Like in the monotheistic mm-hmm. traditions, there's the tradition of uh, theodicy, which, um, just means trying to give a justification for the existence of evil and the presence of God um, in um, other traditions like Buddhism and Hinduism and other things like that. There are different explanations, but, you know, pain, suffering, challenge, obstacle are brute facts. And we all need to, you know, do some mental and philosophical work of, does that lead to more meaning uh, in our lives? How do we view that? How do we, how do we interpret these brute facts and um, 
you know, move our way through life in, in light of them. Yes. Yeah. And then kind of the last uh, philosophical piece here is, um, you know, pain, suffering, and ethics. So, you know, is it always and everywhere wrong to cause suffering? Is that, is that always a bad thing? Um, as we've discussed for utilitarianism, uh, clearly not. Something could be for a greater good. So in the, in the case of, you know, again, the Western monotheistic uh, traditions, there's this, you know, famous attempt to say, well, how in the world could it be that you have this omnipotent, omniscient, omnibenevolent God? Uh, he knows everything there is. He's all powerful and he has the power to, and he has the desire to want to do good things. And yet there is not just some evil, but, you know, large amounts of evil. How do we explain this? Mm -hmm. So in that discussion, there's a distinction that may be somewhat helpful when we discuss fitness, but just, just sussing out this idea that there could be different levels of pain and suffering. So there's often this distinction between non-gratuitous pain. And the idea here is that pain, some pain that can be redeemed. So childbirth, I have never experienced, but uh, I know <laughs> that it's, you know, for a lot of people, extraordinarily painful. And yet, you know, birth of a child, you know, college, growing up, uh, death of a loved one. Um, those are all things that you know, tend to lead towards some higher order consciousness, some higher order good um, eventually. And the idea, if you want to think about it metaphorically, is that if you were to put one thing on some side of the scale, you could put other things on the other side to balance it out somehow. Mm -hmm. The gratuitous stuff, uh, this is where it gets a little bit harder. Now, of course, people who, you know, um, think that the argument or the problem of evil shows that God does not exist, think that this is sufficient um, and that there's good reason to believe this exists. People who uh, are believers tend to think that gratuitous pain is ultimately reducible to non-gratuitous pain, but these would be things like, you know, rape or the Holocaust or childhood cancer or, you know, an earthquake that God could very easily stop. Um, and the idea here is that there are certain pains or types of suffering that you just, you they're not amenable to being put on a scale. There's no amount of stuff you can put on the other side mm. to balance it out. So what does this all have to do with um, fitness and what we're going to talk about? I, I think, you know, it's an interesting question to what extent are certain practices that are going on today within fitness ultimately leading to, you know, higher order consciousness and autonomy and virtue, like we've been discussing, and what types of things are just suffering for the sake of suffering that yeah. serve no ultimate higher order purpose? Yeah, yeah no, great. Uh... <laughs> I was wondering how you're going to go from rape and the Holocaust into fitness and pain and suffering. No, you did a good job there. And I think I don't have much to add to the summary of it, but it's, it's just, that's our lane. Like we want to discuss pain, but they are two very similar. I like the way you, you know, that uh, that's explained. It's really helpful because there are, you know, this is the thing, this is the thing that I notice is uh, especially in the <laughs> believer's mind <laughs> of of uh, pain and suffering and fitness and the teacher and the preacher who teaches pain and suffering and fitness, they, they really do believe that there's some, there's some good on the other side of that pain and suffering. Right. So you see what I'm saying? They really are a believer in that, that, uh, um, that there, you know, that will lead to like higher levels of awareness and, what you're not good at. And it's like uh, kids tripping up and figuring out that they need improvements. And, and through that anguish and through all those ordeals, you know, you're going to raise uh, your fitness consciousness levels, you know? So 
um, th this is an important uh, an important area of what kind of pain and suffering are you going through that's going to lead to something, you know, long term that's beneficial in the in the context of how we're defining exercise to live a large life, um, and then what can we what can we pull apart that could be positive, right? That uh, I'll lend a little opportunity for that, you know, that's inside of that. And again, I classify that as uh, the right challenge at the right dose at the right time, which allows people to slowly progress. Now, if they want to call that suffering, fuck, I don't care. I honestly don't care, but it's the, uh, I think, and I think that's where it's, uh, you know, it ties into the conversation is the non-gratuitous versus gratuitous pain. I like that. Yeah. And what, you know, I mean, at a certain point we have to say something like not all forms of suffering are equally beneficial or worthwhile. Like mm -hmm. someone repeatedly hitting me in the face with a baseball bat, like I'm sure I could come to learn some mini lesson after that somehow, but like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. there are certain things that just, especially going back to the fitness conversation, like there are things that are better ways to achieve, um, you know, higher order autonomy and virtue and things like that through challenges or obstacles. And then there's kind of the gratuitous side of pain and suffering just for the sake of pain and pain and suffering. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll get to that in terms of what the areas of, you know, cause consequence down the road of that, like the constant, because I wouldn't say people are, you know, because a lot of people are going to take that out of context, unfortunately, and, and think, oh, well, exercise four times a week at your, your local micro box gym is not like that. Well, no, it's not getting hit in the head with a bat that you sign up for and keep coming back for, but it's, but it's just less. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not how you're actually perceiving what that is, but you are actually like through your actions and your conversation, hating the whole process, you know, and you're not languaging that because you got to fit in and make sure everything's cool. Um, but it's such, so much pain and suffering and it's constant. Um, that I think that, uh, we do need to, we do need to squeak out well, exactly what is that leading to, you know, how, how is that, how is that somewhat positive? Cause I would say, yeah, the, the, which we'll get to, it's the, it's the other side of that and the embedded behaviors make you a slave to the process. You get, you get bought into you thinking that that is the pathway, right? So you have to get more and more of it over time in different doses and different amounts and, um, and so therefore it's not, uh, it doesn't turn out to be something that's, uh, that's, uh, of utility. Yeah. I think that's a good point. And yeah, thank you for bringing that up. I, for anyone who's listening past the little sound bite that it made before I wasn't, I actually didn't intend for the baseball bat to be an analogy for group fitness. I just meant it more to say like, I did in, <laughs> in discussing pain and suffering, we have to admit that not all types of pain and suffering are equally valuable and leading to higher order goods. We have to say that some are better than others and some yeah. may not be worthwhile at all. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about pain and fitness specifically. So we may just start with the question, what's the current view of pain and its relation to fitness? And here we have things like no pain, no gain. My body's not sweating. It's releasing weakness. Um, thoughts initially on what is the current view of pain and its relation to fitness? Um, Nothing more. I just thought, you know, it's a, it's a simple question that I think we covered it earlier, but um, I think it has to be, let's see if we can try to create some generalizations to that. I think it's the experience of the individuals that are coming into that fitness scenario 
like their, I would say what fitness has meant to them for their lifetime. I think that largely dictates how, where pain and suffering fits into this in kind of fitness thing. Um, and I'll just give you one example to show you that <clears throat> in this example, there's a group like this, and then there's probably like seven other avatar pieces of it. <clears throat> so there's um, a, uh, I'll just use one of my former clients. Um, he was 60-ish um, through some military training and wartime, um, let's say 15 years in that in his earlier life, and viewed the the pain and suffering through fitness as punishment. But as punishment, that was like a work hard daily discipline that, that led to a virtuous, you know, disciplined life, right? Like make your bed, do a hundred pushups, run a mile real hard, et cetera. Right. So, but so he, he coming into fitness, right. In the early two thousands, you know, to tell him like, this is why we do exercise. He's like, that's not why we do exercise. We do exercise, you know, because for this, right. And so his whole, his whole thing was, was just, oh, it's a punishment. That's what it is. So I think, uh, and then, and then you have to say, well, how does the 18 year old who, you know, has just finished high school and, and played just one sport with friends and wasn't that real active and not, not in, not in terrible, let's call it fitness shape, but it's like, oh, this is, this is the adult thing now that the big people do outside of the schools. Um, and I'm into this post-secondary education and, and there's this fitness center, you know? And so what's their perception of, of fitness, pain and suffering, right? They have no athletic experience, right? So what I'm saying is that they have actually no reps of physical pain and suffering through the fitness experience. So how do they perceive it? You know? So I'll just stop there to say that there's like a lot of stories like that, but the principle is you got to really ask the question, what has fitness been to their experience that brought them to this point in time? And that'll lead into you say, saying like, Oh, I bet you, you, or I, uh, you probably see fitness like this. Right. And then it allows you to, to go on with your prescription. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point. And we could say something like, you know, my question, what is the current view of pain in its relation to fitness is the equivalent of one we've joked about, like our whey protein shakes, good or bad. You know what I mean? Like context matters, you know, like you were saying, it's who are we talking about? What time, uh, what particular person, what are their experiences? Um, I, I do think generally though, and I mean, you can correct me if you think I'm wrong here. Um, I do think, unfortunately though, in the past, I don't know, 40 to 50 years, at least, there has been this view of fitness as um, a chore or like eating your vegetables or yep. you know, the no pain, no gain. My body's not sweating. It's releasing weakness. Just this, you know, this view that. Um, Still here. I'd agree with that. Yeah. Fit, fitness yep. has to involve some form of suffering. And again, we, we get back to that same question of like, well, on the scale of like challenge and obstacle, yay, good, leads to higher order stuff and like pain and suffering, maybe gratuitous, like where does that sit? But yeah, it, it does seem like it's it's trended, perhaps unfortunately in that direction. Yeah, I also thought about the uh, the classic, you know, uh, Mark Devine, Goggins, Jocko Willink, uh, um, you know, I don't know why I'm tying in the, the military concept to that again, but uh, I'm seeing 
I'm seeing that pushed as well as the narrative a lot too, that, you know, you, we, we are all, I'm not saying these individuals think this way, but it's proposed like we're getting really weak mentally and we're certainly a much weaker physical group <laughs> collectively, therefore <laughs> pain and suffering, you know, therefore, you know, get your ass out of bed at 4 a.m. Therefore, stop your whining and complaining. Therefore, you know, so all the attempt to move away from this really uh, lazy concept, you know, requires some pain and suffering. And that will teach you all these virtuous things that come with fitness participation. So I would say that's part of the landscape as well. This, you know, work, working really hard and not even thinking about the quality of the work is the first premise, right? You know, work hard, hard work pays off, right? Um, and it is not, it's not moderate smart work pays off. It's no hard work pays off. So I think that's, that's probably a general thing I would add. Uh, that's the same language, I think, Robbie, but just in a different color. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you can say that there's just kind of a, uh, a logical gap somewhere in the arguments like, oh, we want to increase resilience in the population, uh, dot, dot, dot. That means throw as much pain and suffering as we can at these people, no matter what the kind is. And like, yeah. they'll figure out how to come through it better. Yeah. See, yeah. See what you just said there. That's the, that's the thing inside of the intense fitness model too, right? Is that you can't argue for the moderate attempt because they believe they really do believe that enlightenment occurs through the pain and suffering. Why? Because these people are lazy, incompetent, and unconscious. And so the only way to wake them up is through this pain and suffering. So that, that's, uh, yeah, that's heavily pushed as the, as the way through, right? Um, and I say believe because they really do believe, like they believe that's the only method, right? And they're scared shitless to say, you know, maybe, maybe there's a seven-year approach, right? Or let, let's, let's, let's buy into the 25-year program. 25-year program, I mean, that doesn't go well with the 30-day the challenge that we're all a part of, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Right. And you get some, you know, I mean, from a marketing perspective, and, you know, again, this is not a, a, a good thing long-term uh, or even short-term really, but, um, you know, you get, you get that shock and awe, right? You get that initial like, oh, the client, oh, it's like, oh, I haven't felt that before. Yeah. But it, oh, it, see, it seems cool, but uh, not so much. Like yeah. a 60 minute bike, you're hopping on. It's like, oh, what, what am I doing here? Yeah. Uh, but that's not, you know, in their mind, fitness should involve suffering. Fitness should involve this, you know, I'm dead on the floor. And that's, that's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like you're, ooh, what am I doing here? <laughs> I want that to be a soundbite <laughs> for this uh, for this podcast because um, that's what I think about when I get on a bike every time. <laughs> oh man! Probably I'll just make a meme or something. Just doing. Yeah, right. Oh, I know. I told you. Oh, how about this little thing. <laughs> uh, not not much pain and suffering in that one. The pain around trying to discover what you're up to. You know. Whoa. What is this? What is this thing? That's so good. It all depends if you can turn on the light bulb, right? I mean, I, I have had people like do the 10 minute bike test and they'll like, they'll take their arms off and just like do it at a slow pace. And of course you're just seeing like 
how are they doing it now? If someone who actually knows what the 60 minute bike test is like yeah, that, okay, yeah. that now we're talking a different, yeah. 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 Oh gosh. Um, okay. So we've talked a bit about what is the current connection between pain and fitness. Let's talk a little bit about how should we think of the relationship between pain and fitness. And, you know, in particular, the question should pain, and we can get deeper into like what that actually means, but should pain ever be a part of fitness? Yeah, I think it, I think it, in our, in the way we're discussing it today, I think it has to be not the way I describe pain and not probably as we've, you know, aforementioned discuss in like, you know, ridiculous, let's call it lower order versions of pain and suffering, but there, there has to be, and this is where the language matters on it. You know, there has to be challenges, like really hard challenges, you know what I'm saying? So and, and we got to give it, we got to give it a little bit of a space there for, you know, for, for an individual, this sounds super simple, but an individual trying to figure out, um, I always like using the dumbbell press example. Cause it's, it's like, it's not as anyway. So I'll just use dumbbell press example. And, um, like, is there pain and suffering for someone trying to figure out a particular load of these, these weights that they hold in each hand? that their coach said, you have to push them up into the air, you know, towards the ceiling, not straight forward, but towards the ceiling. And you got to bring them back down and you got to repeat this over and over. Right. And, uh, and you get all these awarenesses of that, of like, I can't, I can't do that. I can't keep my right and left the same. You know, he said, start out here and end in close together you know, and now there's numbers on it. Like fucking one, two, three, four, got to remember to push up quicker, you know, like you see that, like that could be, that could be a, a, a very, you know, lower form of pain and suffering, right? You see that? And to some people, there's a lot of pain and suffering in that. And that sounds crazy, but it is, that's, that's how they see it. So I think it comes down to, you know, trying to, trying to figure out uh, I guess, how, how are, how, what is their experiences and how, do, how are they going to perceive these challenges that I'm going to place in front of you? And as an example, if right away from your experience and their adaptation, someone's like, oh yeah, you know, like this fucking boring. Great. Great. I got to figure out a way to raise the level of challenge right? I have to figure out a way to raise the level of challenge based on how you're adapting to the, to the task that I placed in front of you. So I think that's where it gets, that's where it gets kind of weird is, is the, is the word uh, challenges. If I'm, if I'm embedding that instead of pain and suffering, Robbie. Um, now on the, it, how it's described in like, let's say uh, pain and suffering, you know, and we, we, we take this really simple uh, way of thinking that everyone gets the same way where it's like, oh my God, oh, you know, oh, you know how, how much is that a part of uh, the fitness zeitgeist? Um, I really don't think there's hardly any time in anyone's fitness experience that that actually has, and again, this is a long argument, <laughs> has any utility, any utility whatsoever, right? Um, and now I won't come after this, you know, explaining the concepts of glycolytic and the benefits of pain and et cetera, but there's no spot for it. So 
I think it's the perception there on challenges and if that's embedded as the language. And then secondly, in how people may think we call pain and suffering, it has no part to play in fitness um, whatsoever. Yeah, agreed. And I mean, I think you're exactly right. This is where the it comes down to the language. And I would say that, you know, it has to do with how well have we sharpened these concepts. But if, if, if we had to put something on the table today, kind of like you said, I would say fitness absolutely does involve challenge and obstacles, like in order to, you know, make further progress. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just like you said, not full on pain and suffering. And, you know, again, it's hard to know what someone else experiences, but like, for example, if I'm doing a one rep max lift, I wouldn't describe that as pain. It's a, it's a challenge. It's an obstacle or any sort of resistance training or aerobic training. And in, you know, sometimes clients have a hard time distinguishing, well, is it soreness? Is it challenge? Is it pain? But very often we'll be like, you know, please don't go to the point of pain. Like that's, that's, that's not, that's not anything around what we, what we want. So I think putting those basic bumper lanes on what these terms mean, I think, you know, we, we have a good sense of it should involve challenges and obstacles and things that cause you to push yourself further. Yeah. But this notion of pain or suffering just for pain and suffering sake is probably not. Yeah, no, I like that because you're allowing, you're, you're creating better classification of what we're essentially, we're not trying to do this, but it's, it's glycolytic metabolic feelings. You know, that's, that's where I was landing on it. Right. Not, you know, shitty movement, uh, you know, not that, no, no, that's, uh, I'm not, we're hopefully we're assuming that's never a part of it, but, but this is something inside the mechanical one though, Robbie, maybe we can discuss a little bit more um, how we shouldn't put pain and suffering together in this conversation. Let's just take pain away and say suffering, yeah. how much utility is involved in people not walking correctly for six days after no mechanical work, right. That causes pain, right. Cause you know, if I'm not sure if you've re- you've done it before, I've taken people through like squat therapy, the classic squat therapy, you know, they, and they couldn't walk for five days. Right. So um, thoughts on that, on the tie in of like, well, I, I, number one, I didn't know based upon your cytokine release and <laughs> lack of T cells. Right. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, you know what I'm saying? That, but that, that's a bunch. And so now what's their perception of, of movement? It's like, I know, I know for example, my wife's uh, um, mother is like that. Um, so it has to be intricately, like at one point in time, there was exercise or some form of dose. And it was like, my back hurt and my legs were like really sore and my knees were achy. You know what I'm saying? So they, they take that story from their mid thirties and it lasts 40 years right? To a connection back to fitness is suffering. And therefore they'll do whatever it takes to not look at anything that's somewhat similar to it. And that was only one or two doses. So think about that. Um, and I'd want to, I just got any, I don't know if you got any thoughts on how we could maybe pull those apart. Cause they're not the same. I, I don't know if you agree and how we discuss that. Uh, no, I think it's actually a really good point. And I, I, uh, I thought of an interesting nutrition analogy, you know, it's, it's happened a number of times where, okay, let's get your vegetable consumption from zero to uh, let's get broccoli a couple times a week and some spinach and you get all sorts of digestive upset. Well, you're not used to the fiber. And um, so 
is that act intrinsically linked to the suffering? Of course not. The intention behind that was not to um, increase suffering and there was no reasonable, I mean, you have it in the back of your mind that in some people can be caused, of course, like, just like you were saying with the squat yeah. therapy. I think it. I think the ultimate resolution of that is gonna come back to certain guardrails or objective standards where we say, you know, what sort of activities are safest based on what we know, you know, we're trying to do them in a reasonable context. Yes, certain people have more sensitivity to pain, even if you do an initial consult, even if you do an assessment, like there are these things that can come up. And it goes back to that question of like, what's the intention? What's, what's the dose that you're trying to prescribe? If you have someone do one air squat in the next six days, they're laid up. Well, you weren't trying to cause pain and suffering. If I tell someone to eat one serving of broccoli out, broccoli out of 20 or 21 meals and they have, you know, uh, FODMAP issues for a week after, it's like, well, you know, so there, there have to be there have to be some bumper lanes on reasonability yeah. of what we're trying to do. But but I see what you're saying, like uh, that, that can absolutely affect the client's then association with what they see fitness or nutrition as and then how they come to that later in life. And like, oh, I'm, I'm scared of that now. And maybe even if what the new trainer is trying to get the person to do shouldn't cause any pain, just those neural pathways get activated. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it all, it, it, it allows coaches to listen into this now and say, okay, I really need to do a great intake, right? I need to really talk about experiences in fitness and you got to make some kind of intuition to my principle that I say, what have people done? Zero. You only do one. That's, that's, that's your program design, right? Not 17, one, right? So Someone's done no exercise, right? You want to do a full body resistance training session. You're, you may be just doing the air, air punching and air pulling. And I'm making jokes of that, but that's the next step in, in that. Now, I guess that's, that allows then what we're saying here is a, is still some insight into what they perceive as being very challenging, right? Um, and you just hope that nothing painful or a form of suffering comes from that particular endeavor, right? Because now they can embed behaviors of like, ooh, that was just enough challenge to make me think about things a little differently that my body has to, my body and my brain has to like reorganize things to get ready for this again so I can come back and express it again. That's what you want to have happen. That's the learning that we want to have happen. And what can get in the way of that is pain and suffering, right? The pain and pain from the actual thing or the suffering from that thing, that's not going to create a runway for learning and development. That's not going to create a runway. Uh, so, so I think we, we could, you know, uh, back to my point on it, you could, you know, pull out suffering and just discuss that itself and how, you know, how, what's the utility in that for, for it. And then you can pull out pain. And I, I do agree with you though, the pain, mechanical pain, like stuff where we're actually discussing metabolic pain. And then those two go together, pain and suffering, right? Because why would you do, you know, 17 minutes of nonstop, you know, what you are actually experiencing is like, I am in so much pain and this is just a tremendous amount of suffering, you know? Um, and yet the, the person there, the model of the coach and everyone else around you is like, that's just weakness leaving your body, you know? And that concept, in my opinion, has absolutely no place in fitness no place in fitness. Ironically, though, we're on the eve of uh, half a million people uh, falling in love with that concept for three weeks, saying that it's a, 
it's based on virtues of exhaustion and family and commitment and joy and et cetera. So it's uh, the perception it's a perception there that's still there, you know. Wad 21.1 is going to be a 60 minute easy bike. Everyone get a bike. <laughs> With all those comments. <laughs> What's and going on here? What is this little thing we're doing here? <laughs> And that's gonna be wad 21.1 through wad 21.5. We could we could create a whole new podcast <laughs> of things associated with our version of uh 21 point. Yeah. Oh man. Oh man. Good stuff. So I guess related to that, and yeah, the eve of the uh the open um should the coach ever prescribe anything that will cause the client pain even if the client is asking for it and i wanted to make a distinction here kind of like we were making before between you know opex pain you know the metabolic pathway where you know you're you're in some sort of discomfort clearly like lungs and muscles and stuff like that but it's you know if it's done right it's in a controlled setting you have sufficient strength base sufficient aerobic base it's yeah. for a certain period of time we're monitoring you know your lifestyle things um, you know, it's a controlled dose and just like, well, you know, you're clearly buckling under this overhead squat, just keep going. You, you know what I mean? That, that, yeah. that, that type of stuff. Yeah. Well, I'll put it into a metabolic bucket and then you can come back to the squat, you know, um, thing, or maybe you're thinking they're both one and the same and they got to do 70 of them or something. But, um, you know, I generally say the coach should say this to themselves and if they don't have the competencies to be able to come up with this, then just, you know, keep coaching. And over time, you'll have a better way of, of formulating this, but <clears throat> you got to say to yourself, how mature is this person person and what level of fitness IQ do they have? Um, and how bought in are they to the long-term pathway and progress to fitness? And if I checked off all those boxes, mature has the capabilities to express it, and kind of knows where this kind of shit or anything fits into the long-term play, by all means, giving like doses of what would be consult considered metabolic pain is always a great aha moment that says this after every time, that's exactly why I don't do that shit. This is, this is exactly what you get from it. So what does that person get from it? Remember the, the what's it called? <laughs> Non-gratuitous concept they get an upgraded perspective on why they don't want to do it, right? Now, you have someone who's immature, um, and believe me, don't, don't typecast individuals based on this, but this is your gut instinct because they got nothing else for a coach to work with. Immaturity, low fitness IQ, and um, no concept of the long-term goal for fitness, right? And you're like, eh, you know, let's just fucking do this thing. And it's burpees and flywheel bike. Cause you believe they're strong enough, capable. You listen to me in a podcast. You're like, yeah, fuck that dynamic contractions. Blah, blah, blah. So you give it, this is the issue, right? Is that most coaches um, are not, um, are, they're not taking that data. Most institutions don't collect that data. And the story is not told of all the people that had that experience that, we <clears throat> forgot to say afterwards how that embedded behaviors of an aha moment that led to the dependency and addiction of said response. That's the issue. People who don't have the maturity and, the, and, the, and all the things necessary to do it, they get it, 
and you can just see the shit churning in their head, right? I can broadcast this fucking shit now, right? And others, I can, I can, there's a whole system set up. I can do it with others. And, oh, you know, that gives me that big, like, numbing response. You know, I could go on and on with the stuff that they get from that. And you can see it happening right after, right? Where they're even, like, flopping around, like, oh, oh. And then, and then they're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. This is, they're not saying this, but this is what's going on in their head. So that's the issue with the, the coach giving to your question, where, where can you do this and when should you do it and does it have a place? you got to ask some of those hard questions around what they're going, what, you know, can they pay the price of admission of, of uh, getting the taste of that, uh, of the sweet stuff. Yeah. And just like you were saying, there's this gigantic distinction between it being, you know, cherry on top might not be the right metaphor, but like you've, you've built these two, you know, bases of strength, you know, resistance training and the aerobic system for a very long time. And then, you know, a pain cycle is something you could do at some point for a very short period of time and recognize that you never do it again versus uh, it's, it's the entree. It's the only thing you do all the time for anyone beginner or, or not. So, um, and then, you know, in the first case, like you were saying, it's, you know, a mature experienced client who can recognize these things. In the other case, it's like, oh, you're a beginner. Let's do Fran. Yeah. Or some form of you know, metabolic turmoil, right? Which the, this is the classic thing, right? Just go as hard as possible. And then the power drops and you're cheering, right? And there's lights, ah, oh, it's so much, so much, you know? Um, and that's what they attach onto, right? And, and they can attach onto a bunch of different things in that fitness experience is what we forget, right? They could actually feel more worthwhile, right? They could feel more accepted. They could feel like they are releasing toxins, <laughs> right? This is just weakness and I never get to practice these physical challenges. So I think it's, we've just gone overboard. It's an overcorrection of, of you know, what uh, we would call challenges. And listen, um, you know, as you, were, as you were mentioning your last point, I just kept thinking that, you know, just, just get outside of your office off this call and go look around and see what's offered. It's, <clears throat> there's not a lot of people that understand physical challenges in the way that we're discussing it, right? Like there's, you know, you can have strength challenges and you can have pacing challenges and we can, we could come up with multiple different ways of, of those for the rest of your life. And you could really enjoy fitness, you know, um, and do it for the rest of your life. Right. <clears throat> and so this is the argument though, that comes back from those people who are out there, I would call it in the unconscious atmosphere of the fitness experience who are like, your shit's weak. Like it, it's so, it's so moderate based that it has no pizzazz. It's not what the market wants and you don't get the results, dude. You see, see, so, so you just got to recognize that the, the, the pain and suffering, you know, can last for a couple of years and you can get a whole bunch of positive, you know, whatever you want to measure shit out of it, you know? Um, so it's the same old story, you know, it's like, it's the physical challenges and pacing challenges are not sexy, but they will allow you to live long and prosper. And, and that's, you know, and then there's no pain and suffering seen in any of those first two, but I just wanted to make mention that, you know, this is the reason why, so, cause people maybe listen to this and be like, yeah, fucking makes sense. And then, and then go leave the podcast and go, 
why is fucking no one doing this or a huge ton of people? Why aren't they doing that? And I'm just wanting you to make sense of it because there's seemingly more like growth and fast track opportunity in the pain and suffering way. Right. And it's very easy to do. Like I say, any fucking 13 year old can prescribe painful activity. Anyone could do that. That's, it's nothing special around that. Right. That's why I call that suffering stupid. It's, it's just dumb. Right. Uh, but there's of course a lot of layers to when I just call it stupid. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, that gets to, I mean, so obviously like what you're saying, marketing plays a role in it. It's, you know, it's the, the fast track model, both for the coach and the client that makes it appealing. But I do think there's this really interesting question that is kind of baffling when you think about it. It's like, what would possess someone to continue to pursue suffering? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, like yeah, on the face yeah. of that, like, I mean, on the one hand, you and I have both experienced it, right? Where, you know, we had our intro to CrossFit. It's like, oh, that's cool. Yay. Yeah. You know, uh, whether it's a, a numbing effect or, uh, you know, and that, that's what's interesting to discuss. Is it a numbing effect? Is it escaping mental, emotional pain? Is it that cortisol boost? What is it? But it's just kind of interesting. Like, what would cause someone to experience that kind of, you know, intense metabolic, you know, shock that typically leads to some sort of suffering and breathing hard on the ground and being sore for six days and what have you. And then say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to pay you for that. I'm going to come back for more. That's good so, shit. <laughs> yeah. Give me, give yeah. me some more of that. Yeah. Any, any well, thoughts there? Yeah. Well, it makes, it makes sense to me from what I said that gets attached to the behaviors that come with it. Cause we just, we just haven't like, you know, talked it out. I mean, this, this whole intense concept is only 15 years old, right? We haven't, we haven't talked this thing out or discussed the ramifications, right? We haven't, like I talk about, you know, looking at, you know, this interesting study, you know, 15 years down the road from this day, when we can all look back and go that, that, that was a fucked up social experiment of like putting people through the grinder, really thinking we're going to get somewhere with this whole concept, right? Um, just because people are moving around and we virtue signaled, you know, decreasing disease and et cetera. Um, and in the end, as the story went on, it just didn't look as good. Right. Um, so, but it, it makes total sense to me because of the embedded behaviors that come with it. You know, we're, you know, it's a, yeah, it's a crazy thing, Robbie, because we have just, uh, you know, it's almost like, it's almost like there's, it's, it's not worth doing if it's not that, you know, it's not worth doing if it's not pain and suffering, you know, it, cause there's not a lot of things to do today that uh, is, is really um, perceived as super exciting that number one, you could broadcast, you know, that's another important thing. Um, and uh, that uh, you're going to feel like you're part of community with. And so, yeah, it makes sense to me. It makes sense to me mainly because, I think the behaviors that come with it, the dampening dopamine response, all those things that's really required for a lot of people today. And then now they're getting it through fitness, right. Which is messed up. Right. Yeah. 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 And that, I mean, that is, you know, kind of a motivator, like we were talking about pain avoidance as a motivation. Um, you know, fitness can be used as a means of processing or numbing mental and emotional pain, there are healthy versions of doing that yep. where, um, you know, you're working out some things through physical expression and then there are unhealthy versions of that where you're, 
you know, I, I just don't want to think about anything. You know what I mean? Like where people yeah. just will purposely distract themselves um, with, you know, certain activities to avoid mental and emotional. Yeah. Pain. Yeah. Like I say, the principles are, you know, why would you want to learn how to be unsustainable? You know, that's, that, that hits it out of the park. That's the home run that coaches, when they sit on that one, they, they start uh, doing all the research and the reading of books and the years of service in trying to figure that one out. Cause that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Cause it ties in an evolutionary context. It ties in like a longevity piece and fitness context, you know, um, it ties in all of that stuff. And not once that I mentioned pain and suffering, but that's what actually happens in unsustainable activities, you know? Yeah, absolutely. What do you think about, um, and, and here, when I use the term fitness, I'm, I'm talking more about, you know, what we've talked about before as fitness, you know, yeah. let's say, you know, basic resistance training, basic, uh, pacing and aerobic stuff. Um, what do you think about using fitness as a means to avoid pain in the future as, as reason? So things like trying to avoid physical decrepitude, chronic illness, um, the mental, emotional pain of not having a mate, let's say like, you know, you want to look a certain way to, you know, um, be with someone from an evolutionary perspective. What do you, what do you think of those as, as reasons for engaging in, in fitness? Yeah, no, uh, yeah, I like that. That's certainly, that's certainly changing my way of thinking about my same answer too. I think there's a lot of really powerful learnings that a human can, can uh, take themselves through, through mechanical physical challenges and pacing challenges, and really get to building this huge buffer for cognitive pain, physical pain, and, and other pain. Um, and you know, I at once, not, not once, but for a good period of time, thought that the pain and suffering inside of the metabolic pain atmosphere makes everything else so easy in life. But actually what it was, it was numbing me to the sensitivity of reality of the rest of my life. So I thought it was like, oh, this is so much pain that all other things are, will, will not be painful, i.e., building this big buffer zone to all this stupid shit, like mechanical damage or autoimmune issues down the road. <laughs> and here I am at late forties, I'm not embarking on autoimmune problems, which I'm sure I'm going to bump up against because of the, all the shit that I've done, but I am going to start having big time mechanical issues for the rest of my life. Right. So, but I, but I go back and go, Oh, but I thought all of that was in service to creating this huge buffer. And actually, it made me less resilient. See, the, the interesting aspect of that as the story goes on is, is uh, that, uh, uh, yes, physical challenges and challenges around pacing can create a massive buffer for people. Um, and you do not have to have exposure. <laughs> like, of course, let's just make sense of it. You don't have to, you know, F your leg up 17 times before you're 60 thinking, oh, that's going to make a strong leg for 60 to 95, right? That, <laughs> that's not how physical systems and entropy work, right? So, uh, but, but, you know, what you could do is you could do a whole bunch of physical challenges on your leg for 60 years. That would give you a huge buffer so that when you trip and fall while hiking when you're 72, you recover and 65 other 72-year-olds are done. So, that, that's what I would say that has a 
just a different way of stating what I, you know, I've always believed in of that buffer zone of physical challenges leading to that in the future oncomings onslaught of pain and, and preventing that from happening. Yeah. And that gets back to the point we were discussing earlier of not all challenges are equally beneficial. There, there's kind of this, uh, there's this idea out there sometimes that like whatever suffering you go through, whether it's mental, emotional or you know, crazy <laughs> water or something like that, that will build your character in some regard. And, you know, not always, and, and certainly not equally well. And, you know, there are smarter ways to do it in terms of dose response and what someone's ready for. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think just challenging that notion that any and all types of suffering are equally good at making you more resilient human being. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Probably not the right Extra, yeah. There has to be, I guess we would say like guardrails and like a, like a feedback loop on your progression towards those challenges. And that's the thing in pain and suffering, the guardrails are off. There's no guardrails. It's this fucking just drive that thing fucking fast, whatever direction. And, and you will eventually get there. Are right? you the black box method? Right. It's like, no, that was a, that was an interesting time in our evolution, which was, we'll look back on and laugh heartily on. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it'll be, it'll be used in the language. Like there'll be books written in the, the word next to it will be folly, folly and diversion from, from, uh, from day-to-day -day practices. Bodybuilding and biking wasn't interesting enough. What, what are we doing here? You know, <laughs> Had, had, to, had to do something different, had to jazz it up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think the interesting question philosophically is why did we all have to jazz it up, you know? And of course, we did jazz it up through what? A lot of concepts of pain and suffering, right? Like, um, but I think maybe back up and, and just be okay. It's like, no, you don't have to. It didn't have to be jazzed up that way. And... Uh, to my point, for those who, you know, still fall prey uh, to that and still teach it because they do, maybe you don't even know that you teach it. Um, you just haven't worked hard enough at creating good designs because when you create good strength designs and good aerobic designs, those are challenging for humans. Those are challenging, not sexy, possibly based upon your definition. Right. But you can't tell me they're not challenging. So, uh, you know, I think we just gotta, we just gotta ask ourselves a little more. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, I think there are multiple reasons. I think what you mentioned is definitely one of them. I think another is, you know, we have a whole, as a society, we have a whole bunch of unprocessed stuff and, you know, work schedules and just, you know, poor stress coping mechanisms. And this, you know, was like, oh, uh, there's, there's still taboos around, you know, going to see a therapist or doing mental and emotional work. So it's like, oh, this is a way I can work out my stuff and get that cortisol boost, but without having to, to do that. So I, yeah. I think that, that they have like a, you know, a feedback, right? A feedback yeah. loop of like, how is this going? And I think a good system set that up. Right. Yeah. Um, and we believe um, ours is the best. <laughs> the coach is the feedback loop, right? It's like, uh, so how are you doing? Oh, so how did that go? Oh, so what'd you learn about that? Oh, so how are you going to use that for future opportunities of that? Okay, that's great. Repeat. How is that going? Oh, how what'd you learn about that? Oh, how is that upgrading? You know, and then over time, they're not asking, you're not asking those questions anymore. Now they have their own little internal feedback loop, right? Fitness has become inside, right? 
Um, and they're, they're at the point where like I am now, and I'm hoping, you know, millions and millions of people will be in the future. They can just wake up and enjoy physical expression um, and have their own knowledge of their feedback loop for that inside. Right. It's not their name up on the whiteboard in relation to others. No. Well, we may have some version of that, but uh, probably won't be, uh, probably won't looking like that. Not the uh, orange heart rate zone. Nope. No, no zones. Uh, no zones. Yeah. I wonder what will be the next color and the next organ to pick on. I'll come up with something. <clears throat> I just saw an, there was an article today that was basically like scientists have discovered a way to communicate through communicate with people through their dreams. And I was like, inception, here we go. Yep. It's happened. Yep. Two weeks. Two weeks. Yep. I think the coolest thing in science that just happened was uh, the new rover landing on Mars and uh, its journey that it's partaken in. It, it, it just survived the, uh, what they called the uh, seven minutes of hell of the entry onto Mars and uh, landed safely. And uh, it's now exploring. Oh, that's really cool. I didn't hear yep. that. Seven month journey. Think about that. Think about this too. Just one one fact of it. This this stuff always blows my mind. This this little you know thing, metal thing that was called uh, that had the rover inside was going thirteen thousand miles per hour as it entered into the atmosphere uh, inside of Mars. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> Seven months, dude. Like crazy. Time and space, right? That's just, it's like incomprehensible. And now that actual like, you know, uranium and metal and pieces is on that planet taking photos <laughs> that's, that's sending back to us that takes seven months of physical space to get to. <laughs> oh, ouch, ouchie, it hurts. Musk wants to make it like uh, four months over time with uh, the correct uh, correct passaging. Anyways, I find that interesting right now. Oh, it's super interesting. Uh, back when I used to study philosophy of physics, there was a um, uh, famous, you know, philosophical issue from the Einsteinian relativity about like the what's called the twin paradox. Um, you know, if you have one twin here on Earth and another twin traveling at you know super fast speeds. Um, the one twin on earth is going to age at a normal rate. And then the other twin coming back is going to be, you know, depending on how fast they're traveling, still fairly young. Yes. So, yes. What, what the yeah. what? <laughs> the faster you go, the slower time goes for you. <laughs> <laughs> so much, so much goodness in that. Yeah. Apparently, uh, apparently a calendar year is 697 earth days on Mars too. That's an interesting number. Oh wow. Yeah. Think about that. Like, oh, oh yeah, <laughs> that's really fucking far away. <laughs> uh, that's super cool. I'll have to check yeah. it out. Fascinating. Any, uh, any final thoughts on pain, suffering? Gosh, no. Um, I think, I think uh, well, not to say that by us checking off things in our list means that we got everything we need out of the park, but we did, we did hit on everything that you, uh, you uh, put together for those headings. Um, and I think we did hit on, you know, the obvious, you know, I think concept of this, you know, glycolytic 
thing that we go after over and over. That's essentially where we're getting at and how often to practice it and what's its utility and where does it fit in. We also tied in uh, where culture fits into where that came from and why it does exist in it. And I think that's kind of interesting. And there's lots more to discuss, you know, maybe down the road inside of culture and, and that for uh, fitness and culture and philosophy. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, I, I feel good about that. I think uh, depending upon the, you know, the, the, um, the uh, person on the other side um, as a coach, it's probably just giving you some new language of things to think about with regards to pain and suffering inside of fitness. And then as a consumer in fitness, maybe you've picked, picked, picked out some words of some noticing aha moments that you uh, really disliked or liked. And that that's good. All that is good. Cause it's making you become more critical thinker in a, in a uh, fitness philosophist. TM, TM. That's going to be our. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think, uh, you know, like we've talked about before with philosophy, you know, one of its uses is to be able to zoom out on one's current situation and, you know, say, hmm, why, why are things that way? And I think, yeah, for both the coach and the consumer, the why, why do we view fitness in terms of no pain and no gain? And, you know, it must necessarily involve suffering and it has to be a chore that I do. And just, just like zooming out on that one, it's like, Oh, that wasn't always the case. Let's, let's think about, you know, and how to, since that doesn't need to be the case and it probably shouldn't be the case. Um, how should we think of things? So just that, that question is important. Yeah. 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 It never was. So why should it be? That's um uh... That's the good one. That's the good one in a lot of them, I guess. Yeah. The last 50 years are not the entirety of human history. That's right, man. The, uh, yeah. Um, I think I discussed it on a couple podcasts ago, but I'll say it again, just cause I thought it was a really cool analogy, um, of listening to an evolutionary anthropologist talk about, I forget what the context was. Oh, Daniel Lieberman in, uh, running, uh, or sorry, exercising. I remember he said like, are uh, the, you know, in, in Homo sapiens existence, if we're to look at like the last 40, 50 years, and we were to stretch that out an analogy of like walking across North America, we'd be a couple of steps off the beach in San Francisco for our current, you know, like that, ouch, 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 ouch. You know, how many repetitions and things, gosh, gosh, golly, golly. And then I walk around at night and see those stars and read a book and experience those things. And I build, I build lots of gratitude from that. It doesn't, uh, it's not threatening whatsoever. It's a huge amount of gratitude of that awe of the time and existence, you know, and an opportunity. Uh, our outro has to be illegal. So let's continue with another Greta Van Fleet uh, outro. Okay. We'll take it away. And then after this, uh, we'll, uh, I'll uh, see you on the other side. Uh, Robbie, uh, I'll just click out of here after we complete this next one. But this, uh, my way, this one's called my way soon. And I think, uh, the intro is nice too, but it gives a, um, anyways, the, the voice will, I'll let, let Greta Van Fleet take it from here.